All right, welcome everybody back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have with us Ryan Holland. He is, I mean, manager of global IT. I like the I like global because I like anytime we can, you know, somewhat leave the United States, which is nice. So Ryan, welcome to the show, man. You, Thank you so much. Yeah. So you're kind of you know, leadership role over at Pivot International. Why don't you just give us just a little background on what you guys do, how many users you manage, what the the general, you know, daily, you know, daily workload is. Sure. Um, so we are a contract engineering design and manufacturing firm. Um, we're based here in the Kansas City metro area. It's where our corporate headquarters are. Uh, we have locations, a uh, few here, uh, Omaha, Taiwan, and the Philippines. Uh, with some remote locations in like the UK and China. Um, we build, uh, we, we do everything from, I tell people everything from a napkin design all the way through full scale production of any electronic product. Um, so we do a lot of medical devices, um, consumer devices, things like that. Uh, and, as far as, oh, go ahead. And no, and what's cool is you just got, we, we were scheduled to do this show, I don't know, like a couple months ago or something, but you had to get on a plane and go to the Philippines and you just got back from there. So just, you know, what was that like? What's it like managing a, a global network? And, you know, just maybe some of the, what, what would you say the biggest challenge, the biggest challenges for you? Time zones. <laughs> <laughs> um, makes sense. What about language? Um, language isn't so bad. Um, we specific, well, the, the Philippines um, speak, most Filipinos speak very good English. Um, it's, I think, taught in schools. So when you're actually over there, most everything's in English. Um, there's a little bit of Tagalog, but everything's in English. Um, and so it's pretty easy to work with them. And I think that's the reason why my company, the company here, uh, decided originally 40 years ago to start manufacturing in the Philippines is because you can get technical expertise who speak pretty good, pretty well speak English pretty well and um, you don't have that language barrier is bad. Um, there's still obviously some language barriers. There's a few things where you have to kind of say it three or four or five times, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not so bad. I mean, really the biggest issue is distance um, and time zones. Uh, once a week, I kind of do office hours where I'm up late um, my time here. So I can at least talk to them, have a, have a monthly meeting with the staff, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And we're going to dive in a little bit deeper on that in a second here. The, now, I understand that one of the other challenges could be, um, I don't know, customs and immigration, I hear? Yeah. So uh, I had uh, shipped, uh, uh, you know, for us, a large amount of um, um, networking equipment over there for this trip. And um, the equipment arrived just fine in, in, in Taiwan. Um, but the Philippines, it got caught up in customs and is actually sitting there today. So um, I returned home a few weeks ago and the items are still sitting in customs. So hopefully <laughs> they'll be freed up one of these days. Now, these are like firewalls that were meant to be like deployed over there or, or come over here. How, how'd that, how was that working? Yeah, items are supposed to be deployed over there. Um, we do a lot of importing into the Philippines. The problem is, is that this isn't, uh, manufacturable goods. This is user end user goods. So um, the customs had a bit of an issue with that. Um, so it's just paperwork and they're, they're going to get figured out now. I'm sure that was a fun conversation. Yes. So, so how'd this whole journey start with you? I'm always fascinated with how people got into technologies for some it's um, you know, I, I grew up on a farm for other people. It's, I don't, my father brought home a computer and we were soldering transistors onto a board. You know, what's that, what's the story for you? Well, uh, I'm not that far. Uh, I'm not, I'm, we weren't soldering transistors, but my, my parents did bring <laughs> home a computer and it was an Apple IIe. 
Um, I believe what, what the story is, is I guess back at, um, my parents had some money in a bank and uh-huh. they gave them the option of either taking the interest or, Hey, you can have an Apple IIe computer. Um, <laughs> it about 500 pounds, um, for you know, what is basically a monitor and a little CPU. And, um, uh, I remember my brother who's, uh, my brother's actually 16 years older than I am. Uh-huh. I remember him, uh, he, he loved it because he could play Dr. J versus Larry Bird on it. Um, that's pretty you know, advanced. That was a pretty advanced game, probably yeah, for I that a, system. One button joystick, you know, um, on it. Yeah, I had that. I mean, I had the square. I had the square joystick. Yes, I had an Apple II C with the. I think the the like orange button was either on top or on the upper right, depending uh-huh. on which model joystick you had. Yeah. So he he they they had that for you know, we had that. That was kind of the family computer. <laughs> really, what we use it for, right? They you play games on it. It was really what all there was for it. Uh, yeah, Oregon Trail. Yeah, Oregon Trail. Uh, sure. some, some people did some some coding and some like really uh, kind of low. And am I allowed to say ghetto? Is that inappropriate? I don't know. Just you know, like kind of uh, role playing games. I remember yes. there was this like weird like silver bullet like game, some kind of werewolf game that we played in like fourth grade. So, That's fine. anyways, am I allowed to? How old are you? Am I allowed to ask that? Uh, I'm 35. Oh, so you're much younger than me. So. I'm more near well, we your had, brother's age. Yeah, probably. We had, we had, you know, we had in school, we had, um, we had apples. We had, uh, you know, to start off with kind of the same Apple two series and then eventually Max. Max. Yeah. We, so we, we played number crunchers, uh, number munchers, I'm sorry, Oregon trail, uh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego, stuff like that. So, you know, that, that sort of thing. And then that evolved into my mom got a Tandy, a Tandy laptop, nice. which could only store its memory on cassette tapes. And so she had an audio, a little audio cassette tape recorder that you plug in. And, you know, when you wanted to save something, you had to hit record and then hit save on the unit. And then it would, you know, and if the battery ever died, then you lose everything. So uh, that was always kind of fun. So I played with basic on that. So that was probably my first kind of foray into programming. Um, some on there. So then from there, I just always had, uh, always been kind of the, uh, computer person. Awesome. I've got another secret millennial CTO interview that's coming up soon. And I asked him, you know, what was your first computer? And he's like, Oh, it was so old. You know, it was like windows XP. Oh God. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, what was your first video game? He was like, uh, golden eye. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, no. Yeah. The first windows box I had, we had a windows, um, for work groups, three, one, one. Um, I think it was a Packard bell. Um, that had a CD-ROM drive on it. It was the first CD-ROM drive that we had. It was pretty cool. You could put like Encarta on there, which was really, really awesome. So, CD-ROM was a big deal. And I remember I how expensive it was to get a CD-ROM. And then eventually someone had like a CD burner mm-hmm. or like, you know, and that was, that was just even more insane that, and I just remember it was always those kids that I was a little bit jealous of, like their parents buy them everything. Yeah, we got I, we got a CD burner. I don't know. I think it was in, in high school, and I was the guy everybody wanted to. You know, hey, can you burn me a mix CD? Can you go <laughs> you go on Napster and grab me some some songs and put them on a CD for sure? Here you go. So that was kind of a you know. Uh, all right. So so what was the big stepping stone for you? Did you did you go to school for this stuff? I mean, what like did you go to college and do like computer science or what was the deal? Um, well, I went to, went to college for actually electrical engineering, electrical and computer engineering. Um, I've, I was, even before that, I, I was really heavily into computers. In, in high school, um, I had to take a typing class. And instead of doing that, we kind of formed a uh, kind of a computer repair club. 
I know that sounds super nerdy, but uh, so instead no, of good. Seeing, the nerdy or the better, I mean, this is dissecting popular nerds. Yeah. So, so. Instead, instead of doing that, I kind of quote unquote tested out of typing class, and the <laughs> uh, the school that we had had a bunch of old, I mean, old, 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 old equipment in a back room, uh-huh. and so a few of the other people who were kind of advanced, we went back there and you know, we would we'd sort through stuff and find you know five and a quarter floppies and all kinds nice. of other stuff and kind of, you know, we, so we spent the entire time kind of sorting through and seeing what stuff was useful and, and stuff like that. So it was literally like revenge of the nerds. Yeah. Like, kind of like the movie where they like build stuff. That's mm-hmm. really nerdy and cool. Yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, the, I mean, and so I was in that, you know, I, I sold computers at, at, uh, I, I was uh, at circuit city. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did that for, you know, through, they're through still the around, school. right? <laughs> uh, only website, I think. <laughs> for real. Uh, I remember when they started to go out of business. Uh, yeah, it was sad. Like, but, uh, you know, so I was involved. I mean, I've been involved in, in technology the entire time. I was fortunate enough to my parents, uh-huh. you know, they bought me a computer and had, we had the internet. I remember we got AOL on whatever year it was. And it was like Super Bowl Sunday. We signed up for AOL and, and did that. And then I was one of the first people on my block to have cable internet, which was amazing, you know, because you, you know, do everything without That's, taking it. That actually line. is, um, that is pretty insane. We didn't, w- my neighborhood where I live right now, we never got cable to this day. Oh, satellite dish. And only last mm. year did we run, we're the only, we're one of two municipalities in all of Time Warner Telecom charter spectrum, all the mergers together, right? Uh, I guess we should call them spectrum now. Uh, we are one of only two municipalities that have an, an entire fiber ring. So we actually have a multi-gig fiber ring in town, which is really awesome. So we went from DSL to multi-gig fiber. Wow. That's a and, quite a step up. <laughs> yeah. So whenever you call in, then when I'm like, look, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to reset my cable modem, modem. I have a Nokia. You have no clue what that means. You need to transfer me through three different departments until I get the right person. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, moving on, what was your first real kind of like IT leadership or IT job or networking job? Like, what was it? How'd you fall into that? So actually, uh, I worked for a local um, city government, um, city of Summit here in the Kansas City area. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- was going to uh, go to school and instead of graduating early, I decided to go to, we had a uh, like pre-engineering program. Yep. At one of the local, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a technology academy here. And so I went and did that all, all day long. So the morning I did pre-engineering, the afternoon I did network, um, like networking, net, network plus certification, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so as part of that, we did, we did a little bit of a job share thing with the city, with the engineering department. And I actually ended up getting a job with them as an intern. Well, uh, after about a year working with the engineering department, then I had talked to the IT department about something mentioned, you know, uh, yeah, how much of a kind of a geek I was showed them my, um, Dell Axiom X5 Palm pilot that I carried with me. Cause I'm again, a nerd Sweet. and, and the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the CTO was like, uh, you're working for us now. And so I got pulled over into the IT department, uh-huh. hung around there for a while. And then eventually, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he actually was leading. He was the communication systems administrator. So yep. phones, uh, antivirus, remote access, uh, email administrator. He left, trained me how to do his job, and then I took over full-time, um, was hired on full-time to do that job. So that was my first full-time um, kind of uh, IT job. Now, there's some interesting insights there, actually, when you think about it, because it's you really never... I, I don't know. I've found very few people that have ever ended up in a situation or, or career or life situation, wherever it is, that's been really fully planned. 
And you kind of fall into these, you know, you kind of fall in like no one, I was a creative writing major in college. I mean, creative writing. Wow. Okay. No one would have ever told me I would end up, you know, here. And I had started out pre-med even, you know, like as a chemistry major. So look, and then now this is kind of where I'm at. So I think there's some interesting insight there as to why, you know, just for other listeners out there, why do you think, what's the success factor? Is it, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. And on top of that, I've, you know, I've studied hard or worked hard. I mean, what do you think all those things were that kind of like fed to me? That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I I mean, I'd say definitely passion plays into it. I mean, you know, people, you hear everybody talk about, you know, do what you love and then you never have to work a day in your life, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, having hobbies, turning your hobbies kind of into your main business uh, you know, you, you, you kind of obsess over something, you figure it out and become the best at it. And then mm-hmm. that helps you even get a job that's maybe not related to it, but people a lot of times see that kind of passion mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, kind of see that, you know, you, you do know your stuff, but at the same time, also being able to explain that particular passion to a, a lay person, we'll say. So, um, you know, good communication skills, um, the ability to, you know, talk to a, uh, manager and suggest something, come up with a with, with a new direction, and not be afraid to share those ideas. Well, that's another big thing. Let's think, let's, let's transition into that because really, what happened was is your your love for technology and and kind of where you ended up and and your passion for it, you know, got you where you are. But then there's always going to be the challenging situations. There's going to be the things that throw you outside of your comfort zone. And you're going to have that turning point in your career where you either accept that and step outside of your comfort zone or you do not. Yeah. So what would you say that is for you? What, what was that, that really uncomfortable situation where you're like, this is very challenging for me and I need to push myself through this and find a solution for it? Uh, finishing college. <laughs> I was working... <laughs> working full time, you know, in, in, in the IT industry. And then I was, I went for my engineering degree. I wasn't a great student. And so getting through college was tough, but it was kind of one of those things where you just have to buckle down, get it done. And then it's behind me and it's now something in my back pocket that I can use um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big thing. And then, you know, so I was just I'm, pushing through grinding through yeah, kind like, of grinding through getting it done. It sucks. It's not fun, but just getting it done is, you know, it, I find there are a lot, a lot of people quit before it's too, a, a lot of times, you know, you hear these people that have like overnight success and really what it is, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Mm-hmm. It's just all of a sudden, all of that hard work and everything culminated kind of all at once. And the people that don't push through kind of like through that top 1% or really find a kind of push through to the top, um, yeah, there, might not see it. Very rare people who, you know, things drop in their lap. You know, I think like if you ever follow uh, Gary Vanderchuk. Mm-hmm. He talks about a lot of that whole, you just grind, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. And mm-hmm. eventually it'll pay off. Um, obviously be smart about that. Cause if you're, you know, if you're grinding at something that's not going to go anywhere, you know, be, be okay with changing positions, but you know, mm-hmm. don't try, you know, try to complete what you finished before you move on to something else. Um, you know, that, that always seems to be a big. <laughs> and that, and that grinding for something for no reason really, ha- I think it comes down to, do you believe in what you're doing and do you really exactly. like, and, do you really like what you're doing? So interesting. Cause I thought you were going to say something along the lines of, you know, dealing with cranky end users that are hard to influence and are very stubborn. Uh, <laughs> that's really what I was expecting you to say. Um, so, but maybe that comes easy for you and that doesn't come easy for everyone else. So let's just go there. 
um, relationships with C-levels, relationships with key stakeholders, um, and users. What's your theory there? Or what do you, what are your tips and tricks around influencing the organization and the culture and bringing everyone together? Well, I think it, I think it starts kind of with, um, respecting everybody, um, in the food chain, whether it's the, um, shipping clerk that can't comes and ask you for a, a question for the third or fourth time in, in a day, you know, um, being patient with them, understanding that everybody, you know, has been steeped in the, the particular thing. Cause I'm not the expert at everything. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things I don't know. And that person could maybe teach me something. So kind of mm-hmm. going into it with, with a, with a servant mindset and a bit of humility, no matter what, if you have that mindset with the lowliest person and the CEO of the company, you know, they're going to see that and they're going to, and then they understand when you say something, it truly means that. Like if you say, well, this is actually a problem. We need to fix it. Mm -hmm. They know that you're not just bluffing that you need to actually, you need to actually do it. So I think, you know, they hear that'll bubble up that you've, you know, you've treated these people with respect that you've sat there for the third or fourth hour trying to explain to somebody how to, you know, do this particular thing in Excel or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, just, just kind of always doing that treating everybody with that, with that kind of level of respect, I think. Right. Um, it, it helps. So check platinum rule versus golden rule, right? Treat everyone the way that they want to be treated versus treat everyone the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. Um, how, let's look at a couple, let's look at a real life um, example, because I know that you've, when you came in, you've brought eight locations together, hardware VPNs, you know, uh, sharing resources and, and these challenges and really dealing with kind of like your network. What was that network challenge and how did you make that, you know, let's kind of just go through that, that use case study, I guess. Sure. Um, when I took over, um, actually I came on board of the company as a project manager an engineering project manager. Um, I saw a need with the company. Uh, we were, we felt like we were being underserved by the, by the company that was, uh, um, that was servicing us for an IT perspective. So I took over to kind of help bridge that gap. Um, and, and is again, this like an outsourced, is this like yeah. an outsourced MSP type of thing? So, okay, gotcha. So you had an outsourced MSP and you guys were saying, well, maybe we can take this in house. Yeah. So I, 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 after working with them for a while, I, I saw the deficiency really wasn't with them necessarily. It was the fact that we were an enterprise treating it like a small business. You know, we can't go, you can't outsource this to a, a person because it's so complex and so uh-huh. much interdependencies. So then I, I wrote up a proposal, um, took it to my boss, who was the director of engineering. Uh-huh. Um, he bought into the idea. And then I took that to the CEO and the CFO and we kind of proposed this halftime IT halftime project management, which then turned into a full-time role. And part of that was, you know, I, I talked with the CEO and CFO, all these people and said, what is it you want from IT in the company? And the biggest thing was, well, we, we want to be able to work with the people in the Philippines and the Taiwans mm-hmm. um, seamlessly. And, mm. and, and bringing that about was like, okay, well, we need to interconnect these locations. I mean, you know, we could have done the whole, well, we're going to take everything we have, throw it away, buy mm-hmm. all common hardware, mm-hmm. but that's very expensive and really time consuming. So instead we've, we've kind of merged everybody together. We've got this slow kind of walk process where we're, you know, we're bringing everybody together. We're, we're, we're finding the most, um, you know, the highest, um, biggest wins. bang for your buck, yeah, exactly. micro steps, uh, baby step along the way, but yep. make sure that each step is the first is kind of like the highest on the hierarchy of needs, I guess. Exactly. Kind of like a Pareto chart where you've got the, this is yeah. going to give us the biggest bang for our buck, but also then driving towards a, you know, a centralized IT department like you would have in a normal large company, right? If you have a centralized IT department, you have mm-hmm. everything interconnected, you have common hardware, common software. Well, 
mm-hmm. drive towards that, but not necessarily say, you know, I need a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not, it's the answer is no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. like, uh, yeah. you know, it's not like the first date, you don't ask her to marry you. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you do, but, um, the, um, what was the first kind of major change in impact? What, what was the application or what was it? What was the first change? What was the first thing you guys, Hey, look, here's the first, um, the biggest, you know, the biggest thing on the top of the pile, let's fix this with this. What was it? Yeah, it was actually bringing in um, new servers uh, to our corporate headquarters here. When I took over two and a half, three years ago, we were 100% um, server 2003. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the servers were aged, physical, had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So we, I recommended bringing in, you know, and, th- and this was a big ask, right? It was a hundred and something thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't spent, I think I looked back at it and we hadn't spent, we in the last 10 years, we had spent just shy of $100,000 total in IT, including mm-hmm. computers and stuff like that. So how do you make the sale? Well, how do you make the sales? That's, well, more, that's what's important because a lot of people don't know how to make the sale. They don't know how to sell the ROI. And I can't yep. tell you how many places I've gone into where they say, don't you dare tell us that we need to recable the entire facility because you know if you tell us that, like, you might as well walk out the door. And then when we go through and we say, hey, well, look, you wasted $80,000 last year on break fix because you got 23, you know, you know, different switches and hubs everywhere and points of failure. And if we just do this, then you're going to eliminate 80,000. Oh, well, why didn't we do this like five years ago? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, and, and the biggest thing I have picked up when talking to a CEO and CFO is obviously the, it's the business case. It's not necessarily the dollar amount. It's the business case, right? Okay. What can our company do now with this that we couldn't do before? Yeah. So, People example, spend money on tons of stuff. If yes. you just show them that that spending that money is going to help them make more money. Well, yeah. And then the fact that time, and I keep, I keep reiterating the fact that time is also money. Like, you know, if I'm doing something, it's going to cost the company X number of dollars. If you do something like if we have a large meeting and it's pointless, mm-hmm. that costs the company you know thousands of dollars because. And why is that? Most people yeah. don't know that. Most people don't understand that like a company's largest controllable cost for most companies is labor. Yeah. Yeah. What you pay people. If they're sitting around doing stupid stuff or wasting time, or taking 15 steps to do something that takes one step. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and that's kind of driving I me. Mean, that's what we, 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 I tell them that. So it's like, if we waste time sitting here every weekend, we're having to reboot these uh-huh. machines. We have to go in and do this. Yeah, yeah. or we're going to have to, you know, pull all these drives or instead of that, we can bring in new servers. We can do a nice cutover. We can minimize uh-huh. downtime. And then uh-huh. we have all these new features. And we had a large, we had a couple of large business applications uh-huh. that were eight to 10 years behind on updates. And they were to the point where, okay, well, it's no longer supported. You can't get any help. So if it goes down, I'm like, well, I can, I'm going to spend three or four or five days trying to fix it. So how did you present the numbers? I guess let's get, let's cut right to the chase. How did you present the numbers? And was it like an aha moment, like a wow moment? Or was it like, oh, they're okay numbers and we should probably do it. Um, what was it? How did you do it? Well, I gave them some options, right? I gave them options for... You know, you <laughs> it's a yes and yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you, you, don't, you don't give them one option because one option can be rejected. You give them Don't give options. them an option of yes and no. Give them an option of yes and yes and yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and truly, you and to sell it, one of those options can be staying where we are, but then you have to justify what those costs are going to be. You know, mm. downtime is going to cost us X dollars per hour. Mm. Um, you know, if, we, if I have to call in a squad of, um, of outside... Uh, administrators to come in and help us, you know, unscrew up an active directory issue that's going to cost us, 
this much money, right? We can go with the cheap option of just buying a new server and upgrading one application. But mm-hmm. here's the limitations here where you're not going to be able to go. If we go to this, you know, the premium option, we bring in new servers, we bring in virtualization. It allows us to do this and we don't have to spend money in the next three years on this project. And we can accomplish this and these, these future projects that we can see happen. And did you show hard numbers like, hey, this is what I project us being able to save on or be more productive or anything like that? Did you use yeah. any, a special ROI charts or anything like that? Uh, I just gave them numbers, um, hours. Like this would mm-hmm. be, you know, what, you know, what my hours would be doing this. This would be what uh-huh. it would be cost. This mm-hmm. is about around about what it costs to bring in a... Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a network engineer or a, a Windows server engineer for these sort of things versus mm-hmm. here's the upfront cost. Here's what's going to cost you. You know, mm-hmm. we've negotiated this, this number, you know, this is a quote from a vendor mm-hmm. uh, with services in it. So this is it. You're not going to be, I'm not going to come and ask you to, to, to spend more money on this later on. And the projection is this will get us by three years with storage and three years with servers. And then, you know, all the things we can do with it. I just had a great idea. I think we should do like an IT shark tank. <laughs> I just, I don't know why I've just, this is, I was just imagining like, you know, going in, it's kind of like shark tank, you know, like, cause they know the numbers, they yeah. know what the business can produce and you know, they, they, they understand what you're presenting to them. It's not like, as long as you're smart with it. Um, well, and, and you're speaking their language. They, they, I think they respect the fact that you're talking at their, you know, you're not, you're not talking IT to them. You're talking business to them. And they're like, oh yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Or he's, you know, he's bringing us something that's, he's thinking in, in, in our language, which is, you know, they appreciate. Yeah. So, okay. So what was the result? So what happened? They, they approved the expenditure and we, we brought platinum? in. Platinum? Uh, did we get, did we, did we, we, got, the, we got the platinum option? Yep. And, and that was a, and I think that was a very good decision because here we are three years later and uh-huh. we haven't had to incur any new, we've incurred a small amount of hardware um, uh-huh. expenses because we've actually completed all the projects we had on our docket and added more. Yep. And so I'm able to now, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I had a, um, I had some engineers come to me and say, we need some build service. We need some, we need some CPU cycles so I can you know, throw some software builds at it and let it run without it taking up my laptop. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, 15 minutes later, here you go. Here's some servers. And they're like, what, what, what? I'm like, yeah, easy. Oh, I've got so CPU virtualized. Cycles. So it was like a virtualized. Oh yeah. Yeah. So now we have a two host virtual system out here that, that, you know, by most people's standards is poultry, but for us, it, it's, it's, you know, stepping into the future. It's not it's, two, what do you say? 2003 server or whatever? It was, yeah, it was 2003 is now we're 20, we have uh, two VMware hosts running. Um, they're all 2016 windows, 2016 server, you know, and I think I've got 18 to 20 VMs running on those two hosts right now. So then you are also able to eliminate a certain amount of outsourced type of it. Yes. So kind of like when you look at it, you know, three years later, was there a wash on price? Did you make money? Did you guys increase efficiencies? Like looking back on it, what do people say? I mean, I think, I think from a cost perspective, like actual dollars to donuts, I, I don't think it's really saved us any money, mm-hmm. but I think we we're, we're able to do so much more than we could before. So I think it's, again, that's another tip I have. It's not just selling cost, right? You can't, mm-hmm. IT is not cost. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to also have to sell what you can do with it. And because of that, we were able to take on all these new projects and these new expansions mm-hmm. and stuff without, without there being any barriers. Or affecting the culture or there yeah. being a cultural, a cultural mismatch or there being another company that pays someone more money. So you're not as high on their list of priorities or anything exactly. like that. Well, and uh, one thing I forgot the most is, I mean, the, the biggest problem is, is you're not going to be able to get the same person every time you pick up the phone to call them. So if you've got, you know, something that's pretty cut and dry, like, oh, I have Excel problems. That's one thing. But you know, we have mm-hmm. our own internal MRP system that we use for managing all of the manufacturing and buying mm-hmm. and stuff. 
Well, mm-hmm. even if I pick up the phone and I call that that vendor that that has that particular application, they don't know our setup and our processes. So then, you know, you're wasting all this time and money trying to explain to somebody to get an answer versus having that knowledge internal. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I wrote down when we first spoke, I wrote down some notes and in quotes, I put process first, system second. And I'll just let you talk. I'll let you talk about that because sure. I believe that's really, I mean, it's, it's obviously very, it's, it's mind blowing and other people are gonna be like, well, yeah, duh, but I'll let you speak to um, process first, system second. Sure. I think um, what, what led into that particular conversation was the, um, some of the experiences that I've had, you know, in a lot of places, you, you know, people go out and they, they find a tool and whether that tool is a, is a purchase requisition system or a uh, PLM, like a project product lifecycle management, you know, some sort of system, they, they find a tool, Hey, that's going to be a really cool tool. They buy it. And then they, they, they kind of shoehorn it into the system instead of actually sitting down and going, well, how do we want our, our processes to work? So for example, um, and, and this is going to get kind of into the technical nerdiness of a manufacturing and design company. So we have a, you know, engineering processes and, and, and design processes. And one of those is we have an engineering change requests and engineering change orders. So if say we have a product and I want to change the color of the LEDs in that product, I need to submit an ECO, um, an engineering change request, and then an engineering change order to then, you know, modify that, particular part mm-hmm. um, to change the colors of the LEDs, right? That's just good process to, to keep everything. Yeah, we call that a MACD. We call that a MACD in my thing. Move and okay. change, delete. And we, yeah. we, call, we, we get Mac attacks every now and then people have gotcha. Mac attacks. Anyways. And so, so this is, and this is important because, because this goes through supply chain, right? You know, say I have 300,000 red LEDs already in stock. Well, that's a dumb decision to change up the blue because I have all the stock I have to throw away. Right. So there's decisions that are far reaching. Well, those those weren't thought through when the, the the tool came with a particular set of steps and we we implemented those. Mm. Well, now looking at it and how complex our system is, and we need to start doing these things. And so, what spawned this was I had a I had a um, customer, I had an internal person come to me and say, I want to add these new fields to this particular tool. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what are you what are you trying to do here? And so I kind of dug into the basics of it, and it turns out it's not the tool that needs to be changed; it's the process. The process needs to be you know whiteboarded. So we sat down in three meetings and whiteboarded out this entire process from left to right. Mm-hmm. and found out actually there's a lot of things that we need to add to this um, mm-hmm. to do this. And there's a lot of people who aren't being involved in these decisions that will end up saving the company a ton of money because instead of these snap decisions being made, oh, we need to change that, that particular um, item and change it to a different different resistor. Well, then we have all this, <clears throat> excuse me, all this orphan stock that sits in a warehouse somewhere that we have to do something with that we've paid for. So there's mm-hmm. these decisions that need to be, people, key people need to be brought into the process. So it was a, you know, it started to be, hey, can we modify the tool? And mm-hmm. we turned out we actually reroute the whole process from scratch. Wow. And I can't, I mean, how often does someone make a mistake like that when they go to purchase software? Alone? Oh, yeah. All it's the time. It's insane. You know, it's, it's the cart before the horse, horse before the cart, whatever. You know, it's, that's basically the analogy is how many times does someone just get sold on something versus a really sitting down, digging in, you know, whatever, surveying, gathering data. That's really where data comes. And that's where mm-hmm. why data is such a, a mind-blowing, where, where data and AI is really going to affect the future <clears throat> right now uh, for the people that are very involved in it. Um, but for the companies that aren't involved and don't understand how much can actually be done in that area from a technology standpoint, uh, from leveraging technology as a business force multiplier, there's yeah. so much that there's so much to be done there. It's, it's pretty mind blowing. Um, so let's give a, 
you want to summarize that basically process first, system second. In other words, sit down with your people, ask them how they do their job, dig in, whiteboard things, yep. really kind of get ingrained before you just, you know, sit arrogantly at the top of the technology empire and make a decision. Yeah. And, and, and I will be the first to say that it's not easy to do. It's very time consuming. It's kind of humbling because you have to sit down with, you know, most IT people don't care about how supply chain works. I don't care how parts get bought. That's not my problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to become an expert on it, but it's nice to sit down with the people that do it day to day. And they, you know, it's a kind of a twofold thing. You learn a little bit and they feel like they're being heard. And that's huge for people because then they'll come to you with suggestions They'll come to you and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll give you a little grace when there's issues. And so it kind of mm-hmm. helps build that relationship. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you can, like I said, you can draw all this out and figure it out and then select the proper tool. I mean, one of the things that I'm running into now is I feel like we have a couple of key business applications that are redundant that we could probably get rid of one of them if we changed our process a little bit. So that's something we're exploring in the future for some cost savings. And is that just because most of those applications have a big overlap and, they, and yeah. there might be a minor overlap, minor non-overlap that you need the other application for? Well, yeah. You know, they were, when they were purchased, they didn't have those overlapping items or they were purchased for a specific reason. Like this is the, you know, the database mm-hmm. software mm-hmm. for SolidWorks. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And then, well, it actually also does this, 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 and this. Well, our other tool does this, 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 and this. So. Mm. In, in my industry, that's, hey, we've got, we've got RingCentral for our phone service, and we've got O365 Teams for yeah. our chat and our file sharing, but RingCentral also provides Glip, which is like the same thing, and they also have chat, and you've got this huge overlap. Um, yeah. and you could probably very easily integrate, either just go all Teams or go all RingCentral one way or the well, other. And that's exactly us. You know, we're, we're, we're MyTel and Office 365, which both offer a lot of the same features. So you know, <laughs> it's tricky also when you're trying to train users, right? Like, well, I've got a chat window in this application and a chat window in this application. Which one am I supposed to use? We told you. Don't <laughs> ignore that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then people use what they use for just because they're humans. Uh, yeah. They're going to use whatever they're used to or whatever makes easier sense, whatever. Anyways. Um, okay, really cool. And what would you say is the best way, or how do you do it? How do you sit down with people? How do you have these meetings or, or dig in deep? Do you have any type of, I guess, process or system yourself for continually um, building relationships and being the servant IT leader that you are? Well, I, you know, first I try to talk to you. Know, people have questions. I, you know, I do get busy and I do sometimes get snappy at people. So I will admit that as well, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm in the middle of something and I don't have time for questions. But, you know, mm-hmm. listening to people, answering the questions, giving them a full answer, making sure they actually kind of understand what you're trying to tell them. That mm-hmm. initial relationship building is really important. And then at the same time, you know, the, the, in this particular example about the engineering process, uh, you know, I talked to the, the people and I said, well, who would you bring to this meeting? Oh, I'd bring so-and-so. Okay. I scheduled the meeting. I brought everybody into the room. I kind of kicked off, you know, kicked it off. It was a little mm-hmm. uncomfortable because I'm not as familiar with their processes. So mm-hmm. I kind of let them talk, talk through how they do things. I, I let the other team talk how they, how they do mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. jump up on the whiteboard and kind of just do a, a, a technical diagram. Um, mm-hmm. I'm left-handed, so I hate writing on whiteboards, but, uh, because I wipe, you know, I wipe off the, so, but you know, getting up there and just kind of huh. taking notes and showing people what it looks like. And then, I never thought of that. That's, wow, that's cool. So, left-handed whiteboard people. Yeah, it's like yeah, a that's blog. Why, 
That's like a block. Yeah. Well, um, that, that, there's like a, there's a store in San Francisco that's all left-handed and people are like, well, why do you need a Simpsons left-handed? Lefties. Exactly. <laughs> why do you need a left-handed spiral notebook? Well, because then the spiral's on the other side. You don't. Yeah. And why do you exist? I exist because I talk to the people so the engineers don't have to. And exactly. that's you. Exactly. <laughs> um, Okay. So you whiteboard stuff, take it down and then like come up with some ideas to spit out a better process or use technology to make it better. Um, yeah. I mean, so in, in, in this case, you know, we, we're, we're, we're looking at modifying the process. So put together kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the whiteboard, we, we, we handed it off to another group. To and just say, simplify okay, it just, just for people out there listening, like just simplify yeah. this for someone that may have never actually sat down and done like a group meeting and led a meeting. Cause that might be, stepping out of comfort zone for some people. It might be stressful. It might be, you know, look, I don't lead meetings with groups of people. Like I'm in IT, like I take tickets and fix, Mm -hmm. you know, you know what I mean? Like there's just, honestly, there's going to be people out there that just aren't used to doing this. So to be real granular with it, is it a setting out an email first? Is it walking by people's desks and saying, Hey, I was thinking of doing this or, I mean, how do you organize yeah, I mean, these meetings? Don't be afraid to go and, and, and actually talk to the person, right? Go to the person's desk and see how they're doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just say, hey, um, would you like to have a meeting about this? Or, hey, would you like to sit down and talk about this? And, you know, can I bring so-and-so? And can I bring these people in? And kind of just link, just telling people what's gonna, what you're going to do before you do it. And then that way they, they're not surprised when they walk into the, in, into the room. And then trying to set everybody at ease, just saying, "Hey guys, this is real casual. We're just going to try to you know, whiteboard this particular process." Mm-hmm. You know, the and then and then you know, being diligent about capturing actions. I mean, that's something I'm terrible at. Is you know, I have to tell myself, "Okay, this is the end of the meeting." I try to sit down and I try to make a list of the actions, and I tell them at the end of the meeting, "Okay." Why do so IT I, directors not want to capture notes and stuff? What I, is it with that? Because we like to just—I think we just like to do things. Like just fix it. Like, hey, we're just going to yeah. fix the problem. Like, even if we're going down the wrong road. Like, exactly. I think that's what it is. I, I you know, early on, I had to—I uh, <laughs> read um, David Allen's "Getting Things Done," and I had to, you know, do that because I would try to store it all in my head, and then I'd forget three quarters uh-huh. of it and make everybody mad. So, you know at the end of the thing, taking down the actions, having those listed out, email, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to kind of summarize the meeting at the end so that way everybody's on the same page. Because, you know, I could think of something different than the other person does. And Ask for help, be, have someone, you know, you know, yeah. whatever it is, take, you know, take notes, snap take a notes. picture of the whiteboard and, yeah, exactly. and then review at the end. Okay. Um, okay, awesome. Any, and then creatively, I guess it's creatively come up with solutions. There's nothing we can really do there. You just got to be smart enough to come up with that solution, that technology mind solution, be bold enough to then take it to the, um, the key stakeholders, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and, and you go out and reach out to people. I mean, you know, people don't like talking to salespeople, but sometimes it's helpful to talk to a vendor at a particular company that you deal with and see how, how they've had experience in the past. Yeah. They might try to sell you something or they may actually give you a little bit of insight, you know, they may, they may try to, so that's me, by the way. So I, I, don't be, don't be afraid to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, there, there are some vendors that will just want to sell you something. And there, there are a lot of vendors that will give you, you know, um, a lot of you know, 10 cents worth of, of advice for free, right? They'll, they'll give you, they'll be happy to engage with you. They'll be happy to answer your questions about the products or give yeah. you some suggestions. And don't be afraid to go out and ask the, um, you well, know. The my philosophy in general is, is a, I left the corporate world years ago because I wanted to be able to offer every single solution that's available out there. I didn't want to be stuck with one solution. Uh, and I believe that you're only as good as your partnerships, 
right? Mm-hmm. And also at the end of the day, what's the number one thing that saves any company from going out of business? It's someone going out and selling something. So you're really in the business of, of helping people sell things more effectively anyways, or engineer, you know, engineer mm-hmm. a better part or whatever it is. Like we're all really there, but it comes down to, I think partnerships and the partnerships that you have with your vendors is very, very important because if you don't have that partnership there, then you've just got a sales rep that's a revolving door that's gone after eight months. Or you've got an account manager that's a butt in the seat that gets paid X dollars an hour and is gone after three to eight months. So you've got to have those, I guess partnerships is what I would say is a, a really good methodology around forging partnerships with your vendors, um, which is really a business partnership. It's not a buying and selling agreement. If it's all contractual, um, I I don't believe in contractual agreements, even though contracts are involved so that everything, everyone's clear on what they're getting and we're setting the right expectations. But at the end of the day, it's got to be a partnership where the the vendor cares about your success and you care about the vendor's success as well. So, you know, well, and that's, that's, and, how that's, I that's, that's and that's the partnership part of it, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, I can, anybody can go on Amazon and buy a switch, but if you need help with that particular thing, it's always nice to have a resource. You know, I, that's how I, when I kind of catalog my vendors that I use, you know, I kind of see that what's their willingness to help you know, to help me out, to, to give me advice. You know, obviously uh, if I need to pay them for the time, I'll pay them for their time, but you know, what do I get for that? You know, am I getting a, a, am I getting a canned answer for an hour's worth of work or are these guys coming out here? Like I've got a cabling contractor that I don't know how they stay in business because he does such, so much work and so much extra stuff and doesn't charge me one cent extra. But mm-hmm. now I use him for every single solitary cabling job I have because I can trust them. You know, yeah. I know that he says it's going to cost me this, it's going to cost me that and that's it. And I think, I wonder what the, what the key piece is there. Is it because I still run into a lot of IT directors that still look at a vendor relationships as a, I'm going to beat up a sales rep type of thing. And I'm going to go out and do all the research on my own. And I'm going to like Google and get on Reddit and look at things like this. Um, I wonder what like really the key learning is there. I think it's probably more of an education piece on my part and on other vendors parts to let them know that there is a, a, a carrier provider vendor agnostic option, believe it or not. I guess you'd call it consulting, but that's kind of a very broad, um, broad term. But, Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the learning is there. I guess there, there is, there is good people out there. It's the top, top one or 5% that actually care about your success. Well, and it's all about finding them too and then utilizing them when you need them. Like I have an example now where I'm, I've got a vendor that I use for all kinds of random things. I mean, they helped us come out and move and they did all kinds of stuff like that. I have a, a, a very odd manufacturing related networking issue that I was like, I need help. Can you help me right now? And he would, yeah, sure. Here's your engineer. You know, he'll bill me for it, but he was able to drop everything and get the engineer and, mm-hmm. and get him and get him calling my guy uh, a location and got it taken care of. And that's the stuff that I really appreciate is when I say I need something, they do, they get it done and they don't drop the ball on those things. And that, that, yeah. that becomes, you know, I'll use them for everything. <laughs> you mentioned Amazon, which is interesting and Amazon and then even um, Microsoft, O365 migrations. A lot of people just go buy the licenses and they don't realize that they just buy the licenses from a, like a really good migration shop that won't chart will actually charge them less than if they went and bought the licenses from Microsoft and help them do the entire migration and then give them, you know, like tier one or tier three, whatever you call it support, um, which you wouldn't normally get from Microsoft unless you're a really big shop. Yeah. So, um, excellent talk today. What, if you had one piece of advice to, growing system admins, other IT directors, people that might be in a stressful situation or wanting to grow. I mean, what's your, what's your one piece of advice? 
don't be afraid to learn new things. Uh, and that's not just, I just not technical reasons, but like also, you know, going and sitting down and talking to the person who does finance and the person who does this, I mean, don't be afraid to learn that stuff. Yeah. It may not, it may not be something that you're going to ever have a career about, but it may help you solve a problem for them in the future. And then, you know, again, I think treating everybody with that kind of same respect level is, is paramount because that, that gets you a lot further than you think. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, man, been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate it. Hope to have you back on the show again in the future. The next time you have a, you know, I don't know, the next big thing that you do, I want to know about and I want to have you on the show for it. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. 